Welcome to Decoding COVID. I'm your host, John Houghton, and this is a podcast where we help everyday people learn the science behind COVID-19. Today is our first show, and as our guests, we have Dr. Faz Alam and Danny Chan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Thanks, John. Doing great. Thanks. Good. And I'm very excited to have these guys as guests because they are the host of the Microbiology Journal Club, which you should watch on YouTube because you get all the lowdown on the best journal articles relating to COVID-19. Anything you guys have to say about your Microbiology Journal Club? Oh, yeah. We started it about a year ago when, because as microbiologists, when the COVID outbreak came out, we really were eager to get updated and understand our know-how. So this is a, so me and Danny, we met and collaborated a couple of times. So we decided to just kind of almost compete over who, who could find the best COVID papers. Yeah, we have fun on the channel. I think reading papers can be difficult to do. They're very dense. Um, and it's nice to have a partner to bounce ideas off of and try to come to a better understanding of all that literature that's out there, uh, because there's a lot. Yeah, and you guys did some great papers. Matter of fact, the paper we're going to be summarizing today is also covered on your show. I should put that in the show notes. So, uh, Faz, tell us about your background. So I went to Imperial College London. I have a PhD in microbiology, a master's in integrative mammalian biology, and a BSc in microbiology. So all from Imperial College. And microbiology deals very much with diseases. Yes, very much. For the diseases that are caused by bacteria, viruses, funguses, all things that are small and interesting. Well, to me, at least, because I'm a microbiologist. <laughs> interesting to all of us, probably. So Danny, tell us about your background. Similar to Faz, I was working on my PhD in infectious disease microbiology at the University of Chicago, and I uh, completed my master's work there. And uh, before that, I was at the University of Waterloo, also doing microbiology. Um, and now I'm the uh, president of a nonprofit called Biotech Without Borders. Excellent. Uh, so I'm really excited to have you guys on the show. And the goal here is to bring the audience along and to teach you the science behind SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 while I interview expert guests on the program. So sometimes we'll go deeper into technical detail, but then we'll pull back and explain things to you. And the benefit of being an audience member of the show is learning the science behind these disease processes and so that you learn the, the what and why. So sometimes we just get health orders or what have you, or we get recommendations, or you see scientific discoveries in the headlines, but you don't know, really know how it changes things. But by learning the science, you might have a really good idea of why certain things are important and then have a lot of background understanding. So I think it's a really worthwhile thing. So for this program, I wanted to summarize and introduce ideas to a very important paper that came out last year in the Journal of Cell, and it's called Loss of BCL6 Expressing T Follicular Helper Cells and Germinal Centers in COVID-19. And it's, it's kind of a little complicated title, but we're going to summarize that for our audience, and we're going to talk about a few details there. Dr. Alam, in this paper, it talks about germinal centers, and those I see those kind of as the memory of how the immune system can fight SARS-CoV-2. Uh, now, why is it important if SARS-CoV-2 can wipe out germinal centers and lymph nodes in our bodies? So with, with germinal centers, the way I kind of tend to think of them is almost like a dojo for training your immune system. So, so everybody has lymph nodes. So I know if you've had a cold, you might have noticed swollen lymph nodes. That's where germinal centers happen. So what happens in those is where it's where your immune system, the cells go into there. So there are cells that are called dendritic cells that pick up antigens. So there's this lymph node system that uh, drains off all the kind of trash and muck that all goes into these lymph nodes. And these dendritic cells like mop that up and they present it to your immune system. And at this point, this is where the training comes in. So you have your B cells. So B cells are the ones that produce antibodies. 
And when when the, when they meet the dendritic cells, like the dendritic cells kind of have to filter through to find the right B cells because B cells have all these different like receptors that can uh, fit potential infections, and the dendritic cells kind of filter out to find which B cells can attack, say, SARS-CoV-2. And there's uh, T4 helper cells are the kind of the masters of this process. They're like the kind of uh, how can I put this? The senseis. They they train the B cells. They so B cells like kind of have a pre-antibody on their surface that can uh, almost fit. And what you want is to have a perfect fit. In order to do that, they have to mutate and develop a much more better fit for for fighting uh, like these pathogens. So what the T cells do is that they kind of check which candidates are the best. So a B cell will come up and they'll say, okay, is this receptor good enough? If it's not, then that B cell goes. If it is, then that B cell's reset goes through another round of mutation until you have a much better form of B cell that's ready to attack the SARS-CoV-2. And this all happens in the germinal center. So it's very organized. You have sections that have the T cells, sections that have the B cells, and they kind of cycle between. So there's one area that's like the light area where the B cells kind of mutate and the dark area where they meet up the T cells and compare notes. So when you lose this, you lose that organization and things can go out of whack. So would it be safe to say that if, if the germinal centers are, are wiped out, that uh, the immune system won't be able to respond as well? Yeah, I like that analogy of a dojo. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that the germinal centers are the memory, but they're the place in which uh, B cells uh, can transition into their more long-lived memory form. And as Faz was saying, it in their transition, they also undergo mutations, which make them even better at recognizing the antigens that are being presented to them. So the germinal center is really this uh, organization inside of the lymph node that's helping the immune system uh, develop in a way that's productive for an immune response. And a disruption of those centers um, means that, it doesn't mean that you won't get any antibodies, it just means that you'll get maybe not the most optimal antibodies for that particular infection. So it trains ninjas, but they're not that well trained. Uh, so what implications does this have for reinfection, Danny? It's not explicitly discussed in this paper, but we have some reason to believe that neutralizing antibody responses is a correlate of immunity for SARS-CoV-2 infection. And so you could imagine if your immune response is, if your humoral immune response is somehow disrupted by the disruption of the germinal centers, then you would have weaker antibodies and maybe more susceptible to reinfection. Mm -hmm. It's also important to remember that the humoral immune response, the antibody immune response, is not the only factor in preventing infection or promoting um, a productive uh, immune response. There are also uh, cell-dependent responses, and I can't really speak to whether or not those are being disrupted from the information in this paper. So, Faz, what implication does it have for herd immunity by natural infection? So, it kind of uh, correlates to what we've almost been because we have seen reinfections, but very rarely. And the thing about this paper that's kind of interesting is it only takes things from people with very severe COVID disease. So there is this idea that there there is a good way to have an immune response and a bad way. And the this paper mostly focused on people who have the worst immune response. So 
it does kind of bring up this idea that in very severe cases, there they can be some problems with immune memory. But also, I think more usually, so less from your immunity, because you will still have some B cells. They just will be more like barroom brawlers than your kung fu karate masters. They'll still be able to take down the COVID infection, but it might not be this, the same as if you've someone gets a much better response early on. And it's it's also would it also be true? I think I read in the paper that it said that they this process came in early that the journals the the germinal centers were taken out kind of like almost like a preemptive strike like when you want to go to war you take out the satellites first <laughs> before launching the other things and that way it would be disabled it wouldn't be or you take out the factories that make uh, you know components and so it can't make refined tools. Yeah, I mean, to go back to the analogy, these could easily be a case where the satellites just break down on their own, and and that's where SARS-CoV-2 is has its has window. So it's not so much a first strike, but a lucky strike. And we don't really know, because that pa this paper isn't really designed to tell us that, that the answer to that question. This mostly gives us an explanation for something that we've seen in, in people with severe SARS-CoV-2. Mm -hmm, yeah. You still have antibodies that recognize SARS-CoV-2, but maybe you don't have the best antibodies to recognize the virus, or maybe you make a bunch of them at the very beginning, but then um, as the viral titers increase, the cells stop making as many as they used to. And so that really means you may have a weakness in controlling the viral titer outside of the cells. So aside from this germinal center issue, like a step back for our audience, you know, I can think of my Average listener, not knowing much about the immune system or why it wanes for this disease, why does immunity wane for this disease? A good way to think about this paper is that it's a description of um, what the cells are doing in this particular snapshot of SARS-CoV-2 infection. And not in every patient, but it gives us the description that we could go and look for um, that also resonates with the story that antibody responses aren't as durable in the long term. And that is somewhat similar to the seasonal coronaviruses that we see. That's why we get infected with them over and over again. There's not a definitive lesson that you can take away from this paper in terms of all SARS-CoV-2 infections, but it does paint a rather detailed picture of at least in some cases, how the weak immune response comes to be. Yeah, they have this new B cell, well, this B cell type that's been cataloged in HIV, which is, they call it double negative, but it's also been known as atypical memory cells, or my favorite term is exhausted memory cells, because the idea is that the response is, is not so much, it just gets so high that these lymphomes get flooded with these cytokines that cause everything to go to 100, that instead of forming like an organized, like, say, training, it ends up like a bar and brawl, and you get B memory cells are, are very different and they don't behave in, in the same way. And we don't know exactly how they behave, but all we know now is that they are kind of characteristic of this severe version of SARS-CoV-2 and the infection that happens in people. So what other diseases attack the body's immune system? All kind of severe bacterial infections or quite a lot of diseases have ways of dealing with the immune system in order to survive. So in order to actually cause an infection, a lot of them have something that either changes the immune response to be something that other than that's the ideal. So in this case, like we're, we're not seeing that the immune response is being taken out completely. It just it's being made less ideal. And we see that for a lot of pathogens. So so this is actually a massive question that I could talk to you for hours about. So this is not something unexpected. So it's not unexpected that SARS-CoV-2 has methods of trying to deal with the immune system. It's just trying to understand how that filters down to a treatment and how we can 
ensure our vaccines don't fall for the same issue. So make sure our vaccines have the ideal immune response. Hmm. And it's it, probably true that um, while a natural infection might not produce the ideal immune response that a vaccine could, and some of our vaccines are targeted towards, towards better responses. I mean, that's some, some of the evidence that's coming out is suggesting that. So in terms of like antibody responses, it seems that there are some vaccines that trigger a much higher antibody response than even people who've had SARS-CoV-2 infection in the first place. Remember that vaccines only have one component of the virus, the spike protein, at least um, that's the most common vaccines that we have these days. And if they only have that one component, it means that uh, it's not coming with all those accessory proteins that are modulating the immune system and causing different things. So it's almost expected that the immune response will be different uh, to a vaccine than to natural infection. It is amazing how much information we have about SARS-CoV-2. That's why we have so much work every week going through SARS-CoV-2 papers. I mean, in one year, this is a huge amount that we've learned. But yeah, I guess the there is always that need for more. And that's understandable. That's what drives the scientific process. Well, cool, guys. This is really interesting stuff. And really, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yeah, it was excellent. Thank you for having us on here. Thanks for having us, John. Um, and we really believe that the more people that can um, interface with the primary literature, like the better we'll be able to understand some of the decisions that are being made out there in the world. <laughs>